Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Yeah, and before all of those people were J.R. Were, was J.R. Tolkien and his ideas. And that's what we're going to get into. We're actually yes. not reading his fiction. We're not reading uh, about the world he created directly. We're reading about all his ideas about it. And that means we're reading about his famous essay on fairy stories. Which um, we have referenced quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. And which I, um, the, 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 my co-hosts were, uh, thank you, Dan. My co-hosts were gracious enough to finally give in to my my whining <laughs> about how we should we should actually do a podcast of, about on fairy stories because I think that on that this essay will give us a lot of insight as we continue to read Tolkien and it'll give us a lot to reflect on about what we just read in the Silmarillion about Tolkien's own ideas about what a proper fairy story is and spoiler fairy stories have become what we now call fantasy the the sub the subgenre of fantasy so this is really his 1930s defense yeah. of a subgenre although he didn't know it at the time and really the fantasy subgenre is just a, a derivation of what tolkien wrote in lord of the rings and the silmarillion generally speaking these correct days anyway. uh, but we'll get into that before yep. we do hey if you like what you're hearing please give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those places, because more people find us, the conversation grows, uh, and we we have uh, more interesting things to talk about because more people are involved. And to get involved, you can become a member at thewondering.com slash member. $4 a month, first month is free. You get our extended podcast, which today we're going to be talking about what our favorite fairy stories are, I guess, which means what, what are our favorite fantasy stories. There's a, there's a bunch of them in a sense for me. I don't even know. Now I'm like thinking, anyway, we're going to figure that out because I'm not <laughs> sure what that, what, what that would be necessarily. Uh, and then we'll talk about what are some, what is the best modern fairy story? What in the last 20, 25 years, since say, since say 2000, is there something we can point to and say this here, this here meets the criteria put forth uh, by Tolkien in this essay on fairy stories. So we'll get into that. Uh, in our extended podcast and uh, you can join us ask questions in our discord chat join the conversation there uh, get the extended podcast you can uh, you can you can even go to our shop at shopthewandering.com and uh, there's an additional discount for you if you're a member you can get that code by going to our discord chat uh, and if you go there right now you can actually get one of our awesome hats our, uh, we haven't gotten them yet but our make Tolkien great again hat in Tengwar which both of you guys should be getting really soon in the next week or awesome. so awesome uh, I'm looking and, forward to it. Uh, yeah. I've uh, always wanted a hat that no one can understand. They just look at you, <laughs> look at you dumbly as you walk yeah, by. Right, right. Uh, and so, yeah, go to theonery.com slash member. Become a member. First month's free. Um, and usually we would jump into um, all that is gold does not glitter, but we don't have anything here since we're just jumping into on fairy stories. And usually after that, Dan would have a big thought. Uh, but he doesn't this week. I don't know what happened. Oh, we're done with Silmarillion. We don't. It's not a thing anymore. Um, Wait, are you saying Dan doesn't get any more big thoughts now that we're done with the Silmarillion? Yeah. Dan, Dang, you're sad. still muted, Dan. Um, there we go. I said there. sad. Sad. <laughs> sad. I said it for not you. Good. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this week we're going to start with Michael. And I don't have a pithy statement for Michael. If somebody can come up with a great little stinger we can create for Michael's, Michael's mid-afternoon monotonous. musings monotonous monologue there you, that's a good one ready for i can just put that in whenever you do start talking i'll just have it as a that's right you, just have, a bed. you have like a michael's man, just just a warning sign is flashing like michael's man, michael oh, drones on well I, I will start us out this time because this this was my my um aggressive push i wanted us to read this and i want us to read this for the reasons i said because i think it helps us understand tolkien a little better the reading today is just about the first section of On Fairy Stories. On Fairy Stories is a very long essay. Uh, it's in some versions. The version I'm at right here, it's uh, about 80 pages. Um, and there, it's different in other versions, obviously, but it's a long essay. And the first 15 to 20 pages is what we're covering right now, which is um, Tolkien helpfully at the end of his second paragraph or so. I think it's the second paragraph. Third paragraph says that what he tells us what he's going to do in this essay 
And just so everyone knows context, this essay was 1939. Thank you, Jonathan, for correcting me on that. I know and my years. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan knows chronology, and um, especially Tolkien chronology. And so it was uh, the late 30s. Tolkien's already published The Hobbit, and he's writing The Lord of the Rings at, at this point. So, so you have to kind of overlay that. I think it is helpful anyway. You don't have to, but you, it's helpful to overlay what you're hearing in On Fairy Stories. Note also, he was an Oxford Don. This is a, a academic who had just published what was regarded as a, a, a children's tale. And so he was, this essay is in a way his apologia, is his defense of what, um, what he's doing with what we now call the fantasy uh, subgenre of, fi of fiction. So he tells us, he says he's going to answer three questions in this essay. And we're, today we're just going to talk about the first of those three. The three questions he says he's going to answer are, one, what are fairy stories? If you're going to talk about them, you should know what they are. So definition. Two, what is their origin of fairy stories? And question number three, what's the use of fairy stories? And his treatment of each of those gets long, progressively longer. His definition section is the shortest. And so... Um, today, we're just talking about the first part, which is what are fairy stories? And I think I was telling you guys beforehand, it's a funny way that he goes about doing it. He doesn't, he doesn't define it in a, in, in, a, in a sort of systematic or obvious way. He defines it through the, what we call the via negativa, which is basically he's like, what's a fairy story? And here are a bunch of people that write stories that aren't fairy stories. So I'm going to tell you what's wrong with these things. And through this way, this method of like, sorry, here's a, here's a, 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 something called a fairy story or a fairy. First, here's something we call fairies. These aren't real fairies. This is all bunk. Then mm -hmm. he goes into examples. Here's a fairy story, supposedly, but it's not. Alice in Wonderland, not a fairy story. Here's a fairy story. Gulliver's Travels, not a not fairy, fairy story. story. Here, here's a fairy story. It's a, it's so so he he goes through a bunch of the fairy of the, the fairy tales and tells us what a fairy story is, what isn't a fairy story, and on the way gives us these nuggets about what the characteristics of a fairy story are. And so I didn't know what you guys what did you guys think of his method there? Felt to me like a pub I, method. I, yeah, like a pub method. Yeah, like he's sitting in a pub with pub a pint, and he's saying, like, like, yeah, you yeah. know that book? That's he, not a fairy story. Right. It's. Mm -hmm. I mean, he even points out, you know, it's like, <laughs> turn to the Oxford English Dictionary in vain, right? And so he's like, I'm going to give it to you, except I'm going to write about 80 pages of it. Here's my definition. <laughs> <laughs> so don't go there. Uh, but he defines it, I think, at least, and you, you know, take take umbrage with me at this if, if you feel that, uh, that I'm wrong, um, in two ways. One is by what it has, and one is by what it isn't. He never defines it by what it is. Does that does that make sense? So, for instance, he says by what it has. Well, what it has are here in fairy stories, men are the supernatural. Men are the things that are men, humans, humankind are the uh, the invaders. They're the ones that are not natural to the world. Right. That's one way he puts it too. Um, it has magic and magic is to be taken seriously. It cannot be satire. It's not a joke. Magic is uh, the art of the world, so to speak. And, and that needs to be taken seriously. So those are two of the things that it has offhand. The other one is what it doesn't have is like one, it's not a, it's not a, what do you call a, a traveler's tale? Correct. Uh, where it's not like, like what you said, like Oliver's travels. It's not like where you go to in our world, you just go to a magical like island somewhere. And it's just a part of our world. It's, it's not, or not a magical island, island of just different things. Mm -hmm. That's still part of our world. Um, and then the other one was a beast fable, right? Where it's just full of talking beasts and where humans don't play a part. Um, it doesn't, he, does, he doesn't make a point that talking beasts doesn't mean that it's a non, that having a talking beast means that it's not a fairy story. It simply means that the, and maybe I read this wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but that if it's just all about talking beasts, like it's just, it doesn't, it does it doesn't hold the fairy story. For, for right. Story. Well, let's, let's go to that actually, if you want to talk about sure. that part, but, but um, because he's, he's very, it's very interesting. He says the, the beast fable of course has a connection with fairy stories. Beasts and birds and other creatures often talk like men in real fairy stories. In some part, often small, this marvel derives from, and I underline this part because this is a tidbit where he's actually telling us what ha fairy stories have. So it gives us some idea of, from a positive perspective. He says, one of the primal desires that lie near the heart of fairy, the desire of men to hold communion with other living things. So that's part of the world of fairy is the desire 
to hold communion with other living things. Mm-hmm. But the speech of beasts in the beast fable, as developed into a separate branch, has little reference to that desire and often wholly forgets mm-hmm. it. So he says, basically, if a, a beast fable is one in which the characters themselves are animals, I don't know if anyone's read um, the Red Wall series, uh, for example. It's a kid series, and it's all the characters. It's like Martin, Martin the warrior. It's a, he's a mouse, and all the characters are animals of different kinds. And it's a it's a heroic story, but all the characters, it's basically just humans, but with different animal cultures. And so you have the squirrel cultures and the rabbit and the the mice cultures, and you have the bad animals and the wolverines and things like that. So um, that would be a beast fable. Aesop's fables is largely beast fables often because all they are is moralizing in the form with beasts speaking in the words of a a preacher or teacher. Or it would Um, be the, the one, the more modern one that comes to mind is The Secret of Nim. That's right. Or Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, I think was the name of the original book. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now that has some elements. It's interesting. That has some elements of what it might be more. That might be more like what he called, what he says Beatrix Potter does in a couple of her stories um, where there's this kind of, there's a kind of magic that's kind of liminal on the edge of the story. Um, But, but basically most of the characters in the, in the secret of Nim are, are, it's just a beast fable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but that's to say like these lines aren't precise either. Like reading through this, you have to think about it and you're like, well, parts of it are, parts of it aren't, but as a right. whole, maybe it hues more towards the beast fable or the dream. T- well, the dream tale is kind of, well, it has it. some elements of it. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, let's, so the element of the beast fable is there are talking beasts and sometimes plants in fairy stories. So we know it's not a secret Lord of the Rings. He would consider a fairy story. Yeah. Yeah. So you have talking plants and ants, and yeah. wait. T- well, uh, I guess Old Man Willow. What, mm-hmm. what are the other? Are there other? Yeah, okay. So there are there are there are creatures mm-hmm. that have that have and 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 things that have um you know eagles. That's yeah, how's that not a talking? True. And the fox in the ho- is it a fox the, in the, well, the Yeah, the one time fox <laughs> that that pops up and once with one line. What would you think line. if you saw it? Yeah. <laughs> surprised uh, at seeing hobbits so far out yeah yeah so so there's there's um there's definitely talking um um beasts um at least occasionally yeah in uh and you know if you watch the movies the moth right <laughs> <laughs> no um, but a more a more serious note on a more serious note radagast is said to have uh the speak in the in the speech of the beasts that's right so but so that's, are... that goes more towards that longing of like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, that is the element of it is there's a longing to speak with them. It's not like we are living in the culture of all the foxes in the Shire where right. Right, there are stories told about them. Right. So um, I'm going to quote one passage here near the beginning of the reading. And after he, he um, kicks to the curb, the Oxford English Dictionary of Fairy, tale, <laughs> fairy Stories, um, he, where he talks about really something that is what he what he's going to consider a real fairy story and he says now though i've only touched wholly inadequately on elves and fairies i must turn back because he had just as a philologist does he had gone down a rabbit trail of talking about the nature the origins of elves and fairies and their that use in the english language for i have digressed from my proper theme fairy stories i said the sense stories about fairies was too narrow it is too narrow even if we reject the diminutive size. For fairy stories are not in normal English usage, stories about fairies or elves, but stories about fairy. That is fairy, and again, he spells it F-A-E-R-I-E, the realm or state in which fairies have their being. Now, so this is an important principle. Fairy stories are about a different land, they are not about the land that is exactly the same as the one that we are in. So if you have a story about the land that, that we are in, and I'm going to use an example, um, the Space Trilogy, C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. Mm-hmm. That Someone might argue that that's a kind of fairy story where the fairies are angels, etc. And there's other elements. And there is, in fact, Merlin comes back in that, in that, um, that final book of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. But Tolkien would argue, I think, that that's not a fairy story because it's about our world in the modern times with some things that are coming in that are not normal. But 
Um, but but it's still, it's not about fairy, F-A-E-R-I-E. It's not about the realm or state in which fairies have their being. So even though Tolkien did refer to Middle-earth as a kind of prehistorical place, um, the world in its prehistorical state, it's there's too much of fairy in that world it's not we don't recognize it as our world we can't even we, we can't even really point people have tried to like look at the maps of middle earth and be like this is Europe. Well, and and it's in that line where he says the realm or state in which fairies or elves really is and he makes that as a like, like that that's his sort of uh uh synonym in a, in a way but mm-hmm. uh which fairies have their being once the fairies all leave it is our world right and the world has grown, right. as it said at the end of silmarillion it has grown uh, old and gray to them so it's not yeah, their world anymore. the world is changing exactly yeah, like yeah. Uh, valinor has been removed to to bring it back to our silmarillion podcast and the world is becoming gray and 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 what's the word what's the other adjective he uses dull uh, gray and old? dull fading and gray no gray and something else i don't know if you <laughs> i'll find yeah. it for you hang on a second but yeah. all right um, so, so that's an interesting one. Cause I think that that's his argument that basically his fairy story is at an end and it's time for actual history, which interestingly, I will argue is the reason why, um, his, he, he, uh, he, he, uh, he tried to write another, a sequel to Lord or start a, a, a short story anyway, about, uh, the fourth age was something that happened about a hundred years after return of the shadow. I think you mm-hmm. call it. it's called return of the shadow and it's, it only has a few pages and then he just stopped because, and I would argue having read those few pages that there, he's no longer in the realm of a fairy story. It's, it's mm-hmm. like all the stuff that yeah. made his Lord of the Rings, a fairy story. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. It's, 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 it's faded away. It's old and gray, as he says at the end. That's of, right. Uh, and the there might be power. a rumor of orcs. Exactly. There might be a place where orcs still exist, maybe, or people still worship the Dark Lord under some form or other, um, even though the Dark Lord is gone. But nevertheless, it's, his world has lost its character, its fairy story. So, so um, this is an important part of the definition of a fairy story. It's a, it's a, it's a, a story about the realm or state in which fairies have their be, which is why, for example, I think some of the fantasy works that we could... Would, the fantasy, if it's just historical fiction, if we just have historical fiction but with magic in it, um, it that's not enough to make it a fairy story. There has to be this realm of fairy, or as he calls it, the perilous realm. Hmm. And the perilous realm has magic. Um, but he says, but it is a magic of a peculiar mood and power at the furthest pull from the vulgar devices of the laborious scientific magician. Let me, I, this is, okay, this just popped in my head. What, because the whole idea that we live in a different world is is, is uh, integral to how he defines a, a fairy story, or that is a, it is a different world than we are familiar with. Yeah. In science fiction, like in Star Trek, you could argue that the world of 300, 400 years now is a different world than where we live in, where there's magic, the science, or the different different planets and the different things. Like it is completely different than what we are in now, and there are different beings inhabiting that. Do we can we say that in a sense hmm. that is a fairy story because it's not our world, it's not anything we're familiar. We're invading sort of the rest of the universe, and all these things, these gnomes and elves, and they have different names. And science is essentially magic because you can do things that would never be possible from what we know now. Essentially, is science. So do we do we can, could there be an argument that that's sort of a modern fairy story? I, I think there could be an argument. It would be a very interesting argument, but it would essentially would, you would have to argue, you would have to show that the world that, that the characters experience and live in is one in which man has is entering. You know, there's always man in, yeah. fair, in fairy stories. Yeah. Yeah. And he's entering a place which has its own rules, even rules of physics that are different. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you might be able to run on the snow. Walk on snow. Huh. <laughs> oh. How did I know you were going to say that? Uh, I, I telegraph it now. That's Whatever. just obvious. Um, so, but, but there's rules that aren't our rules. And there are laws that aren't our laws. And it's, doesn't, and it's not good to delve too deep. And so I can think of some... some I mean, there's, there's an element in the, in the Dune Chronicles, for example, of this. Mm-hmm. There, um, and they go to the mind. There, there's elements in Star Trek in some of the episodes where they go to different planets where the rules are entirely different. And in those cases, I think you can make a case that those specific episodes might be you know, a kind of fairy story. 
Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The entire one where you look at the whole arc of like the Federation and it's, it's really a story about the future and mankind does. And it's, that's it's, a traveler's tale. Yeah. So that's, that's what Tolkien calls a traveler's tale where you're just going from planet to planet. Um, but some of those planets, in some cases, Maybe. I think you might be able to argue. Like we said, argue. it's 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 um, wibbly wobbly edges here. Like it's mm. hard sometimes to understand where where it might start and where it might end. And where certain stories are fairy stories and and certain other stories aren't. Anyway, just to, okay. Sorry, I digress. That was that was the uh, an, yeah. Just popped well, and that lead, but that led to the quote that you gave us before that I'm going to read the actual quote. There is one proviso. This is right after the one I just read. Mm-hmm. There is one proviso. If there is any satire present in the tale. One thing must not be made fun of, the magic itself. That must, in that story, be taken seriously, neither laughed at nor explained away. Of this seriousness, the medieval Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is an admirable example. Nor explained away. Midi-clients. Yep, exactly. Or Tolk- Legolas running on snow. I know we yeah, keep going back yeah, to it, but I, 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 really, I really do think it's important <laughs> that you not be able to explain away the magic of the ring. What, how Agreed. does... How does Galadriel's ring work? How does it preserve Lothlorien? Once you start like trying to f- give an actual mechanistic reality, how did, how did Feanor make the Silmarils? Right, it's like he, that's right. Like he had, was the greatest of his craft, but what was his craft? Well, he didn't really explain like how he captured the yeah. light of the tree. Uh, you got you captured light, and it, so it burned unending. Like yeah. the Silmarils were like stars. Now they they produced their own light. Yeah. Well, how does that work? Was there nuclear fission going on, <laughs> so, fusion yeah. going on all the time? Yeah, right. So, so you can't. It 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 bears no fruit, and you and you've moved beyond fairy story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that I would argue, actually, well, I, I just this just came to me. That is the boundary between the subgenre of science fiction and the subgenre of of fantasy, because I think, and I think Chesterton would agree with me on this, that there has to be a kind of wonder and a mystery to the world of fairy that there isn't in science fiction, or at least there doesn't have to be in science fiction often explains mm-hmm. what, what's going on, what's quote unquote really going on in, in um, fantastic situations. So there's, there, there has to be this kind of mystery and, yeah. and the magic has to be taken seriously. And by the way, I do think we should read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight as one of our, um, cause Tolkien. I've never a, read it. Oh yeah. No, cause he, yeah, he has a commentary on it's great. Um, like, like it's, it's awesome. So, uh, so, 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 one, so that, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say one, one paragraph that I found interesting in this whole discussion. Um, he's trying to define what fairy stories are and aren't. And he contrasts, I believe it's, it's called Nymphidia, Drayton's Nymphidia, which is hmm. considered a fairy story. And he says one of the worst ever written. <laughs> and then he compares it with uh, uh, Arthur, Guinevere, and Lancelot. Yep. And he says that's a good and evil story in Arthur's court. That's a fairy story rather than this tale of Oberon. So he's, he's talking about how in this other tale there's uh, the knight riding on an earwig and there's all these fantastical elements to it. But he's saying it that doesn't fall under fairy story. And I'm wondering if I, – I I'm not really familiar with Nymphidia. I'm wondering if you could – Illuminate I think what you're talking about there. I think what he's saying there is is what we were just talking about. It takes place in our world. It's it's a story about fairies, you know, riding on earwigs, living in the, the what did the cowslips, yeah. uh, the little the, the little uh, uh, bell shaped right there. Yeah, it's a story ha- of what's happening beneath our notice. Yeah, rather than a story in the realm of where fairy live, where they're they're in the realm yeah. of where humans live. So he's saying that's about fairies, but it's not taking place in fairy right human, and, and humans are intruding into it right and there is an element of magic in it that's you know so like so like he, he even mentions he says the gallant knight and angry husband fall into the mire this is in the story of nymphidia and their wrath is stilled by a draft of the waters of leave it would be better if leave had swallowed the whole affair <laughs> Right. <laughs> so the 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 waters of leaf which is the waters of forgetfulness and it's kind of um, like would you take honey i shrunk the kids to be a fairy story no because they're just little and they're living on they're flying around on bees and it, but it's got a fantastic element right it's yeah. it's really cool but um in the, now, now nymphidia would have more of the magical element than honey i shrunk the kids although i did think of that jonathan too but but I think with a problem, well, there's many problems with Nymphidia, but one of them is, um, one of the problems, he's going to get more into this later on in the in the essay, 
is that Nymphidia relegates the world of fairy stories to children's literature, which he thinks is a great mistake. That, that there's nothing wrong with fairy stories for children, but there's also nothing wrong with fairy stories for adults. And in fact, there's something to be gained by, with, by fairy story, crafting a fairy story for adults that you can't gain through a children's story. And so there's the, there's the um, sort of diminishment of the fairy story in Nymphidia, but also there is, they don't take the magic seriously. And that's, whereas in Arthur, Guinevere, and Lancelot, and Morgan Le Fay, and, and everything about, um, and, and Merlin, they take the magic very seriously. And yeah. in fact, it's tragic. And so, and so that, that was what, and furthermore, as you mentioned, Dan, it's a tale with good and evil in it, not just silliness, like Nymphidia. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the quote, uh, I reread Chesterton's uh, Ethics of Elfland again yeah. before getting into this. Uh, and one of the oh, quotes cool. that stuck out to me of, uh, that, of, that he says about it, um, and, and I, I think Tolkien was probably referencing some of what Chesterton wrote at some points, particularly uh, Chesterton makes, makes, makes a point of like being in jail and Tolkien makes a point of like that, that you, like to escape is a good thing. Anyway, uh, but, but, but uh, Chesterton wrote, Fairyland is nothing but the sunny country of common sense. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's like, it's not, we read, then he wrote, it's not earth that judges heaven, but heaven that judges earth. So for me, at least, it was not the earth that criticized Elfland, but Elfland that criticized the earth. This is more the philosophy of fairy tales. But, but the whole idea that, yeah, it doesn't, being magical isn't, it, like, just having magic in it doesn't make it a fairy story. It's Correct. taking it seriously. It's the common sense of it, right? Like, you don't have to explain it. But anyway, that's sort of a little bit of an aside. But even Chesterton had some thoughts that, that, that fairy stories weren't silly little things for children. Yep. Little, little, you know, I don't know what a good example of a fairy story for kids is because I tried to avoid them. Now, and this, this part is interesting. He says, most good fairy stories are about the adventures of men in the perilous realm or upon its shadowy marches. That's what you were referring to before. Naturally so. For if elves are true and really exist independently of our tales about them, then this is also, this also is certainly true. Elves are not primarily concerned with us, nor we with them. Our fates are sundered. And our paths seldom meet. That line, our fates are sundered and our paths seldom meet, that rang to me of the Silmarillion right there. It totally did. Yeah. Yeah. That's highlighted too. Like I can imagine him writing that line and being and thinking of the sundering of the fates of elves and men in the Silmarillion. And how the because again, the Silmarillion to me strikes me as a story about a fairy story that then at the by the end, through the end of in the fourth age has become a not fairy story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it becomes right. prehistory at that point. Yeah. Which is sad, but also, you know, the, the fate of elves and men are sundered. Yeah. So and and so what is what's implied by that? What he's saying is if in a right in order to write a good fairy story, you have to have all, a lot of elements. You gotta have the element where the story is about a land that is not ours. It's it's a land which which has its own existence. It has its own rules. Um, that you can't question, um, and or it's not not it's uh, perilous to question, anyways. It has its own people, and they have an existence aside from you, and they don't care. It isn't all about you, but the story is often about your adventure in that land, um, and or men's adventure in the land. The character of that land is one of magic, but it's a serious magic. It's a magic, in other words, which has a structure, but it's a, but has a structure but little detail. So he never explains to us how Gandalf is able to turn pine cones into fireballs um, or, or um, do a lot of the things that men mm-hmm. consider magic mm-hmm. or the elves do things men consider magic. Um, you know, how, how does the rope, the elven rope untie itself when, when Sam tugs on it and it falls down after being firmly tied and burying their weight all the way down the mean wheel cliff face. Huh? Yeah. Don't you? You doesn't can't matter. question it. You yeah. simply cannot. It doesn't bear any answer, and it, it doesn't. It, and it isn't a good idea to ask. So, so there's these elements, and so a fairy story has to have have to has to take magic seriously. It can have talking animals, but it can't be about talking animals. So the talking animals can't be the primary characters. Interestingly enough, the most talkingest of all the animals, which is are the uh, eagles. Are they're they're used as a, a eucatastrophic 
uh, a tool by Tolkien. Yeah. They're not, they're, they're, we're told that they are their own people and they speak and we have some dialogue with them, but they're not, we're, we're not concerned to, to delve into their world. I can see Tolkien um, writing the story of Baron Luthien. He's like, oh, this hound, it can talk. He's like, no, no, it can't. Maybe, maybe a few times, three times, three times. Three three times. times. <laughs> that's it, guys. It's not Game a fairy. Come it on, is man. a fairy story. Have three, three times. That's all I got for the hound to talk. <laughs> that's really interesting because that. See, oh, that's I didn't think of that. That that's fantastic, Jonathan. Because that's, um, I see exactly his paragraphs here about beast fables. He's yeah. like, if I haven't talked too much, then he's a character, and if he's a yeah. character, then we're we're pushing the limits as as far as fairy stories go because this is not about talking animals, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you meet an animal that can talk. Yeah, and so, it works. Yeah, it's okay. Like we'll accept like, it, and we, like, we don't explain like, why he can talk or how he can talk or what makes nope. him. I mean, other than he's sent from the Valar, but it, it, it's not a. What kind of explanation is that? Let's. Yeah, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, en- but, it's, 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 it's enough. Enough. Of so, explanation. and and the other thing is, of course, like all of this can't be a dream. Like we're uh, ah the dream Alice yes. in Wonderland. It's right out. Just cast it aside. <laughs> can't do that. Um, I don't know. What yeah, other, what I, other there was one. Okay, so so in um, there was one sentence in the in where in the paragraphs where he was saying it can't be a dream tale, um, where he says it is true that dream is not unconnected. That's capital D dream. Un mm-hmm. is not unconnected with fairy. So he's a he's he's saying look, there's a connection here between these two kinds of tales in dreams. Strange powers of the mind may be unlocked. In some of them, a man may for a space wield the power of fairy, that power which even as it conceives the story causes it to take living form and color before the eyes. And then later he says, but if a waking writer tells you that his tale is only a thing imagined in his sleep, he cheats deliberately the primal desire at the heart of fairy. So now what he's doing is he's telling us, here's why a dream tale can't be a, a fairy story. What's the primal desire at the heart of fairy? The realization independent of the conceiving mind of the imagined wonder. So once you say, I had this fantastic tale, like Alice um, down in the looking glass, down uh, Alice. Oh shoot. I just, now I'm, now I'm muddling through, the title. Through the looking glass. Through the looking glass. Thank you. Um, once, once you tell them, well, this was all because Alice was dreaming. Well, then it, it, it isn't a fairy story anymore because, because, we are forever in doubt about whether there is, in fact, Humpty Dumpty, mm-hmm. whether there is well, a Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and, whether there is, there is a Queen of Hearts. We don't know. Maybe and, there is, and, and she touched it, or yeah. maybe there isn't. Well, and if it's a dream, it's happening in our world. Ultimately, right? That, I mean, you could say that it, it, you've never actually left. You've never actually entered the realm of fairy. Right, right. Now, someone might quibble and say, well, look, her body never left, but her mind entered this other world. Okay. But even so, the fact that it was a dream throws everything into, a, into doubt. Tolkien would say that the primal desire at the heart of fairy is the realization in the, that's realization. That's not the mind realizing something. That's the realization, the making real. Mm-hmm. independent of the conceiving mind of the imagined wonder. So elves are real in fairy. Dragons are real in fairy. Um, and and um, so is everything else. And, doesn't, and wh- yeah. doesn't matter whether, whether you dream about it or not, they have their own existence. Yeah, And simply by making it a dream, all of a sudden everything is not real. I mean, uh, you've right. lost the seriousness of it. Uh, or if which you is fudge another... the edges anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And sometimes you've just completely lost it. And it's just, you know, interestingly, I'd forgotten that he does mention H.G. Wells, um, the time machine. As oh, a with side the Morlocks note. and the Eloy. Yeah. Um, the Eloy and the Morlocks. It could be. Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Star Trek, actually, mm-hmm. in a way. Exactly. Um, and he says it, they're closer to a fairy story than um, Gulliver's Travels and the Lilliputians. Um, why? Because, quote, Eloy and Morlocks live far away in an abyss of time so deep as to work an enchantment upon them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and so if they are descended see. from ourselves, it may be remembered that an Eng- ancient English thinker once thought, once derived the Yilf, the very elves through Cain from Adam. Hmm. Hmm. Man, even, but even he, right. Even, even he here is saying like the edges are blurry. 
Like mm-hmm. you could be thinking like this is more of a fairy story. If you go far that. enough in so, time, you could get to a yeah. point where it's almost like it's um but he doesn't say that it was I don't think he would admit say that the time machine is a fairy story. I do I I, I do think he would distinguish. He just says it it gets close. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah. but I don't I don't think it would ever it would ever um um pass the, the true test. So um, the final one I wanted to point out was when he brings up the Beast Fable, he says um, that these the nearness of some Beast Fables to fairy stories lies in the, in their strong moral element. So so there has to be then that what he's saying indirectly is there has to be, and he said it before about the Arthurian legends, there has to be a strong moral element to a fairy story. Um, in other words, it's not enough to have a fantastic world uh, which has its own reality and its own rules, which we might call magic, which in which humans adventure in it and encounter this, the wonders, but there has to be a moral element to it too, mm-hmm. um, which there is in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, by the way, um, which I'm looking forward to reading at some point, but um, with you Define all. a moral element. What are we talking about? Are we saying that um, you learn like it's a morality tale? I don't think that's what he means. If you ask me, or does it mean that um, morality is defined within it? Uh, yeah, I think it's the more of the latter. I think it's one that has a moral structure. So there is, in fact, a good and an evil. Yes, and that is made clear by the actions of the denizens of fairy. So, so you may not understand why they do what they, they do, but it is clear through their actions that there is good and there is evil, and some of them act for one and some act for the other. And and some act sometimes people in fairy act for both, and just like mm-hmm. outside of fairy. Hmm. So you've talked way too much in this, Dan. I <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, just keeping up with the conversation because <laughs> uh, I'm not super familiar with um, fairy stories. I guess I, I this is like you know the the world of Tolkien might be one of my gateways. Other other than. Um, I guess like Disney movies, maybe, or, uh, you know, children's tales. I mean, you well, could that, say um, the most successful fairy story of the last 75 years is Star Wars because it meets most of the criteria here that we're oh, talking interesting. about. interesting. Right? Because it is buried okay. in the depths of time. It's all a different right. All right, world. depths of time. So it's it's at the lim- that liminal edge. Okay, so you got yeah. that. It's, it's got its own rules. So mm-hmm. you have the magic, which they call the it's force. It's taken seriously. It is, it is taken seriously. It's very serious. Yeah. It has all these wonders it has its own existence that human beings are adventuring mm-hmm. in these places although they do travel to different worlds it's not a traveler's but tale you, you aren't no, just jumping yeah. from place to it isn't star trek star trek is a traveler's tale it's like following it, yeah, the, 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 yeah. as they go from place to place or gulliver's travels so it isn't that i agree um that's interesting it has a, its own moral structure that is true as well strong moral element um, it's not a dream it's not a dream no <laughs> No, yeah. and, fact, the, and the fairies long, just happen long... to be midi chlorians. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's where they fail. That's where that's, that's where, where so downhill. so they fail the by trilogy. explaining away the force. Once yeah. you start to try to explain the magic, yeah. you're right. you're failing. So I would say episodes four, five, and six are definitely um, hmm. um, in the in the running for a kind of fairy science fiction story. fairy story. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Hmm. Which is sometimes I, I guess it could help us understand a little bit why sometimes. Um, sci-fi and fantasy are grouped together because they do have a they they do have a kind of typical element to them. Uh, I'm sorry, and a, a lot of people element. never called Star Wars science fiction; they called it science fantasy. That was the name that, mm. that a lot of people put onto it because it it it's a it's a fantasy story that simply takes place in a little more technological world. Mm-hmm. But the but the magic of the technology is just as mysterious as the magic of of sailing in a straight path to Valinor. You do, you don't have to explain like yeah. what hyperspeed is and and you don't, I mean they don't even get, even get into the details of warp cores and and uh, uh, you know all the different kinds of like uh, I can't even remember all the tachyon beams and things like that in Star Trek where they try to explain yeah. it all away. Whereas in Star Wars they don't they just accept that you're going to go for it. Yeah. Gonna, well, do no, I agree. That, I, I think the Star Wars would be a fairy tale or a fairy story if you didn't have the Jedi and the Force, though. If it was just the technology being fantastical. Well, would you I have, don't think so. Uh, I think you need to have the space wizards. Those, those I think, are the fairy that inhabit the world. Mm-hmm. Right? They're the, they're the mm-hmm. things yep. that define Star Wars because everything revolves. I mean, that's why every character in every story pretty much has tried to revolve around the Jedi. Because All they're, primary they're, antagonists they're, and, and protagonists 
the heroes and the major villains are all about the force. So yes, it, it's it's the magic with a capital M that Tolkien uses in this in this essay that that Star Wars revolves. It even has a I mean, it's the force with a capital F, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I, I I do think actually uh, I am I am somewhat convinced. I have to think more about it. I'm, I'm only somewhat because I want to think about it, but I do think it starts to meet those elements. And it's fan, it is um, interesting how they don't try to, like, unlike Star Trek, unlike some of the hard sci-fi that I enjoy greatly, the Foundation series, Asimov's books, um, mm-hmm. there's, they don't try to explain the technology that just is what it is. And, and, and you just don't, and especially the Force. You can't ask too many questions about the Force. Until episode one comes around, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's so sad. I think that was the that, that was word jar to me when they went into the midichlorian level. Like I can accept yeah. jar jar, but once you start trying to explain the force away, you lose the magic of it. Yeah, they kind of explained it in a way where, like, if Anakin had sneezed on somebody, then he could have <laughs> given them the force. You know, <laughs> infected them with the force. Right, he had right. so many midichlorians that it just like yeah, spewing it all over the place. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Um, well, are there any other thoughts regarding this first part? Because we're, I mean, this is, this is, I think, the first of four episodes that we're going to talk about on yeah. Fairy Stories. Um, yeah. It is interesting what, what? That, that what we get is, is Tolkien jaunting very quickly through a bunch of fictional literature um, yeah. that's all kind of fantastical. And he's like checking the box, not Fairy Story, not Fairy Story, kind of a Fairy Story. So Lang has some tales. Um, Andrew Lang's famously Andrew Lang for those that never did it never saw it had 25 books of on fairies um, fairy books of different colors that he would do and different other things I looked at that yeah he has a lot of them and they're the different color ones I think there are 12 of them but he just gathered all these different fairy stories from or fairy tales exactly he's kind of like a Grimm Brothers in that regard he's like the English version of the Grimm Brothers where he's gathering up all these tales so Tolkien takes down he says some of them aren't fairy stories but some of them are so he's kind of yes no on Lang uh, George MacDonald gets a yes. He has, and then uh, the author of Sir Gwyn Green Knight gets a yes. Most other people get a no. Um, you know, no, none of the Alice in Wonderland tales are, are fairy stories. None of the Beast tales are fairy stories. Jonathan Swift gets a no on the fairy story on uh, his um, his satire, Gulliver's Travels, yeah. Gulliver's Travels. Mm-hmm. and um, a, bl- a bunch of other people besides. He even kicks uh, Beatrix Potter to the curb, and uh, and it would be so interesting to hear him to, to and Brer Rabbit too. He kicks Brer Rabbit to the curb. Uh-huh. Poor guy. Hmm. So did the fox. Um, <laughs> uh... Oppression. It never ends. <laughs> uh, but so, what would Tolkien say about all the stuff that's come up in the last fifty? Because you could say fairy story was inspired inspired the entire an entire uh, generation of writers. To one, too much to copy him, but. Two, to try and figure it out without the basis, without the, some of the boundaries that he put in around it. Yep. To me, made it great. To me, Tolkien, and I, I know this is going to sound a, a overly maybe theological to some people, he's like the sower. He, he came along and he took a bunch of seeds and he threw them all over the ground everywhere. And some of the seeds sprang up and they, are, they bore fruit and some sprang up quickly and then died quickly and some didn't bear any fruit. And some people and some of the seeds were like turned into, um, you know, 1960 Chevrolets. Um, and so, <laughs> so they were, they were just I mean. different. Di- like yeah. pe- people took it. He's Johnny but, fantasy seed. And that's huh? right. Johnny that's right. He is John. Seed. He is the Johnny Appleseed of the fiction of this yeah. kind of fiction world, because there has been that explosion and, and everyone with any sense, even some of the writers of great, like, you know, George R. R. Martin, fantastic um, talent, mm-hmm. uh, utterly opposite to everything I stand for in terms of morals. <laughs> um, but he has a tremendous talent gives credit to Tolkien for his work mm-hmm. smartly because mm-hmm. I mean for so much of his inspiration mm-hmm. and and every like everybody that writes some some people just blatantly copying like yeah. the, the Shannara series which I cannot stand yeah. and I mean, it's such a copy that I can't stand it but other people pulling from it like Michael Scott Rohan and others they're just it's a, he's the Johnny Appleseed you're right mm-hmm. Jonathan he's a Johnny Appleseed of the literary world and he sowed and then other people reaped and sowed of, of their own and to lesser or greater extent, sometimes even in the field he of would science, be, science he, fantasy. His insight into some of these stories would just be brutal. 
Yeah, he, well, he, I mean, he takes down everyone, um, basically. And he would, he would come with the scythe and he would be the reaper <laughs> and he would, he would, um, he would destroy most. Uh, but I think there would be people, I, I could see him, Ursula McGuinn. Uh, Ursula Le Guin. Wow, McGuinn. That's terrible. <laughs> Ursula Le Guin. Um, I could see him liking some of her stuff. I could see him liking some some of the writers of the last uh, fifty to eighty years, um, and and the work that they did. Uh, and if they could capture that magic element, if they could capture that element where there's a real um, there's there, it feels like you're in a real place. And as we read through this essay, we're going to get more into that. We're going to get more into what does he actually think? He, he uses that great phrase. We haven't got to it yet, but he says secondary world in the next reading, um, because that's what you're really aiming for. You're aiming for another world when you write um, fairy stories. Hmm. And so so that's what that, that's what we're going to yeah. that's what's coming up. But yeah. bear with us as we <laughs> as we go through um, this. Yeah. So, much, so I think so much... we'll. we'll We'll probably get into this more in the subscriber-only portion, but I think it's interesting that um, in this essay or this lecture that he gave came at a time when it seems like he had finished reading The Hobbit and was still working on The Lord of the Rings, and it kind of it kind of seems like his his thinking on fairy stories was either more becoming more solidified. And that that might explain some of the tonal differences between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Yes, where where it seems like that like the elves they're they're like comical. It's almost in The Hobbit. Yeah, they whereas they he make he makes everything more serious and more. Um, Didn't he try more to real? I guess. Did I read somewhere that at some point that he tried to rewrite The Hobbit at some point to make it a little more in the style of the lord of the rings i feel like he, he started that and never finished and he wanted i heard to... the same thing but i don't know i can't remember yeah. where i heard it from. i feel like that was in a letter or I can, yeah okay so but yeah i think you're right dan that that he was still trying to figure it out and his if you go back all the way to the um the book of lost tales it's a story of a mariner who goes to a separate enchanted land where the fairy live the elves and they tell him all these stories of the land and that's that's where he, he everything was birthed out of for the silmarillion mm-hmm. um so he had it in his head, but he would also tell these fantastic tales to his kids. And that's kind of, I think, where his, where his fiction was at, like his, his, his uh, prosaic fiction, just the story, was in his mind was at what he would do with his kids. And so in, in a hole in the yes. ground there lived a hobbit. That's where I think that came out of. And over the last next, what is it, 15 years, he slaved over trying to figure out how to bring the Silmarillion and the Hobbit in together into the Lord of the Rings. And he was so frustrated and disappointed. And I think he read like at one point in 1939, he went through a great big depression because he didn't know where to go with this, uh, the Hobbit and the, the, the sequel to it. Um, and I bet you're right. A large, a large part of this is like, after he wrote this, he's like, Oh crap, what did I do with the Hobbit? Like, I got, I got to like, this next thing has got to like be within these boundaries. And like, it's, I've got to take it seriously. And there's, there's none of this dancing, prancing elves and foxes who think about Hobbits on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, that's, that is very interesting. And, um, I think we're probably going to cover on fairy stories in two more readings, um, two more weeks. And this next reading, I'm going to suggest anyway, we do the next two sections, which is the longest one. We'll do 30 pages this time and then maybe 28 the last. That's okay. from my edition. But the next sec, two sections are the origins of fairy stories and then children. what what the use of chil- uh, the fairy stories is for children. And you'll see, I think, when we read this, the section on children, his his divided thought about that. Like he loves children. He loves the idea of fairy stories for children, but he hates the idea that, that we should, that they should be relegated to children's stories. Yeah. And so, and yeah. so there's going to be um, some, some um, development of his thought in, in the next reading, which is those two sections. So that'll be our reading next time. All right. or, origins and children. All right. All right. So uh, yeah, next week. And I think we might have a little break in there because I know you're doing some traveling. So we might get uh, that interview up in the meantime over the next few weeks. We'll see. Yeah, My, my travel is the middle of July. Middle so of July. I could do everything's next... a week late. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We, 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 maybe we'll, we, yeah, we should, well, maybe we'll get them in. So we'll see. Um, but if you are reading on fairy stories and next week, we're going to go into the uh, children part of it. Mm-hmm. All that is gold does not glitter. That's totally wrong. That's not the one I meant to click on. I meant to click on this. If you like Tolkien. <laughs> but, but I have to get the all that is golden every once in a while. So, hey, if you like Tolkien, I, I mentioned reading Chesterton's Ethics of Elfland. It's very difficult to read because, uh, like, reading Chesterton and Tolkien at the same time, I'm like, oh, he's Tolkien's so approachable. 
and Chesterton just he, he it feels like half the time you're reading Chesterton he, he uh, it's it's train of thought didn't he didn't he dictate a lot of it to somebody and they wrote it down I feel like that's uh, true. that's a good Is question and I think it, maybe the, that at the end older, he did yeah, yeah. Okay. in any case uh, he goes a lot into how into children and I think he even starts about the whole idea that like when children say do it again do it again uh, that's not a bad thing that's because they enjoy it and they they they, they, they are they are in this story that they're living inside their head, the, the, the fairy story, the, the gloriousness of this world. And, and anyway, it, like it might be a good read. Uh, it's chapter four of Orthodoxy by Chesterton, which is in the public domain. So you can kind of get it everywhere. You can spend like 99 cents if you want to get a downloadable one on Kindle and put it on there. Uh, but it's worth reading. It's hard to read. Uh, I'll throw a plug out for plug in plug for um, Ethan Nichols um, Chesterton's Gateway, I think, which is a great. Yep great way of approaching it um even he writes he's like i don't really get what what chesterton's saying in this here all the time and it's really hard uh but it's worth it for some of those lines about tradition and democracy and how children approach things there's 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 like you can glom onto just certain parts of it and and get a lot out of it so i recommend that if yeah. that's something we're going to be going into next week i totally agree um chesterton is is like the hardest he's like the red meat of the of the um, literary world he is the hardest to digest but you get the most out of it if you can if you can get through him yeah. he's writing at a time when the art of writing itself i believe early 20th century was at its height in the english language the art of mm -hmm. uh, developed writing and on on topics and speeches and such yeah. so yeah. it's difficult but uh, worthwhile if you can get through it yeah for sure all right so that's that's the recommendation this week uh we're going to jump into our uh members only section our extended podcast with hey if you haven't heard like i just want some of you guys to listen to to this is what you're missing every time we go on the extended podcast which is austin robertson's wonderful reading did you think it would end this way oh the journey doesn't end here the gray rain curtain of this episode will be rolled back and all will turn to silver glass. And then you hear it. Distant sounds like waves on diamond shores. A far greater episode under a swift sunrise. That's what you're missing each week. Every time you don't become a member at the OneRing.com slash member and get the extended podcast. But sadly... Wait, is this still YouTube? This is still this is still YouTube. This is still oh, you for just all want to the freeloaders, man. Sadly, yeah. you're all still freeloaders. So <laughs> we're that is true. But you can kick you to the curb. It's I mean, really easy, guys. Say goodbye. Yeah, yeah, we'll say goodbye. <laughs> okay, so for all of you all who are uh, longtime listeners who like the extended podcast and want to listen to what we have to say, we're going to get into what our favorite fairy stories are. Maybe what the best modern one is over the last. 23 years I'm gonna leave hmm. out star wars because we already talked about that uh but yeah yeah join us there in the extended podcast everybody michael Bye, free